Okay, I'm going to go ahead and start the program, and uh, please, if you're having trouble here, hearing the program, uh, just hit star six and let me know. Otherwise, we'll go we'll go right into it. Uh, we're going to cover a good bit of material tonight, and I'm going to talk as fast as I can and try to get it, as many pearls as I can to you. We're more than likely going to run out of time to finish all the material. It's, it's so comprehensive, but... Again, I'm going to do my best to get through it. As a southerner from Birmingham, Alabama, I can talk fast when I need to. Um, a little bit about me. What is a chiropractor and a board-certified nutritional specialist doing talking about heart disease? Well, um, I'm a little unique in the sense that I've, uh, I've been on both sides of the fence. Um, for a number of years, I did just good old chiropractic work where I worked with musculoskeletal patients, enjoyed that, did that for a number of years. Then about 15 years ago, I started having patients come to me with a condition called fibromyalgia. And at that time, I didn't know a whole lot about it. But I started doing some real unique nutritional therapies with these individuals and started having some success. And lo and behold, I went from seeing about 80 patients a day down to about 20. And the reason why my practice changed so dramatically is I went from seeing low back pain and neck pain and carpal tunnel to seeing the medical misfits, you know, the people with fibromyalgia. And so 15 years ago, I started working with those individuals, and then that, that led me to open up a medical practice here in Birmingham, Alabama. And the medical practice, we had five medical doctors who worked with me. I was the clinical director. And we specialize in integrative medicine, which is the com- combining of natural uh, supplements or nutritional medicine and prescription drugs, and we did a combination of that. And although our specialty was really a thing we really emphasized was fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome because that was the first book that I wrote, and that was the book that was uh, first got in the bookstores and, and got us known. But we had a lot of patients that came to us with heart disease and diabetes, and mainly because there's just so many people with that with those conditions. I mean, it's, it's uh, epidemic. And those individuals were looking for something different than what they were getting from traditional medicine, and we were happy to um, have a side branch, a specialty of that. And we started working with patients, again, using a combination of judicious prescription medications, uh, medications when needed because you don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater. They are needed sometimes. You just want to use the right ones and preferably um, use them the least amount of time that you can and, and while you're working to do it naturally, whether that's changing your diet or exercise or whatever that may be. But we had a very large practice of patients uh, with cardiovascular disease, mitral valve prolapse, congestive heart failure, high blood pressure, uh, who came to see us looking for a way that they could beat this illness. And one of the things that we did was a therapy called chelation therapy. Uh, IV chelation therapy. Some of you are familiar with that, and I write. A, I have a whole chapter about that in my book, Heart Disease. So that's how I got to know a little bit about these illnesses 15 years ago from running this integrated medical practice, and that spilled over into my practice, working with these individuals, searching for ways that we could treat their illness, whether that whether it's mitral valve prolapse or high blood pressure or congestive heart failure, and doing that in a way that we were able to make positive changes to where they could get off their prescription medications and do it naturally. And so 
three years ago, I decided I was going to write another book, and at the um, at the risk of divorce, because um, <clears throat> uh, three years ago, my son was my son was being born. Uh, I agreed to write two books in a in a summer. One was uh, heart disease. What Your Doctor Won't Tell You, which has been in the bookstores about the last three years now. And the other book is uh, uh, Treating and Bending Anxiety and Depression with Orthomolecular Medicine. And I was crazy enough to agree uh, when asked to do so to write both of those books. Well, let's get into the material here. So I want to share this information. All of this comes from my book, Heart Disease, What Your Doctor Won't Tell You. And... Uh, it's no secret that we have a big problem with cardiovascular disease. It kills almost 1 million Americans each year, and this accounts for 41% of all the deaths in the United States. In fact, one person dies almost every 33 seconds in the United States. It, uh, cardiovascular disease claims more lives than the next eight leading causes of death combined, including cancer, accidents, and even AIDS. Unfortunately, we have for the last four decades relied on medical myths to guide us in our attempts to prevent and treat cardiovascular disease. We've been told to reduce our cholesterol, our saturated fat intake, and to take lipid-lowering medications like uh, Zocor or lipid-lowering medications. For those of you who are just joining us on the line, I'm having problems with time use could be kind enough to hit star six, you can mute yourself so that we won't have any bleed over noise. Thank you. What we have found out, though, is unfortunately these medical myths that we've been told to abide by actually increase the risk of premature death, strokes, heart attacks, depression, suicide, senile dementia, and even congestive heart failure. So what I want to do is share with you some of these medical myths that we've all come to believe as being the truth. And what I want to hopefully do tonight is dispel these myths and arm you with some information so that you can do further research and not be relying on this, this uh, information that really is causing um, a huge epidemic of health problems in the United States. Well, myth number one, high cholesterol is the main cause of arteriosclerosis and the main problem for cardiovascular disease. This is a myth. This is not the truth. The body needs cholesterol. Cholesterol is so important that the body manufactures almost 1,500 milligrams each day, or 85% of the cholesterol circulating in your body is manufactured. Uh, the other 15% you get through your diet. Cholesterol and other fats are the very building blocks that make up each and every cell. You, you have to have cholesterol. You die without cholesterol. Cholesterol is an important fat that helps keep cell membranes permeable. What does that mean? Well, cells have this fat that circulate, um, sorry, that surrounds the outer core of the, the membrane and allows nutrients to be able to pass through and get inside the cell to nourish it. And it also allows toxic material that builds up in the cell to be able to get out. That's part of the uh, role that cholesterol plays in cellular health. Cholesterol makes the bile salts required for digestion of fat. Cholesterol is the precursor of vitamin D, which is necessary for numerous biochemical processes, including mineral metabolism. 
you know, vitamin D right now is the vitamin du jour. You can't pick up a newspaper or a magazine article, look on the web without seeing some news about vitamin D. We know now that uh, low vitamin D levels lead to not only osteoporosis, which we've known that for probably three decades now, but we also are finding out that low vitamin D levels are associated with depression, anxiety, all sorts of mood disorders, also associated with diffuse muscle pain, low back pain, neck pain. It can be associated also with polyneuropathy, tingling in the hands and feet. And lower your uh, when your vitamin D level is low, it increases your risk of stroke, and even cancers. Again, for those of you joining us uh, late on the program, you could hit star six. That will mute the phone out for us. We appreciate that. Uh, cholesterol is essential in maintaining proper hormone production. Again, one of those hormones it is uh, protecting is uh, precursors to the vitamin D. And again, uh, as I just mentioned vitamin D is uh, the vitamin du jour. You can't you can't live without it. And and what's really interesting about uh, vitamin D is that here in Birmingham, Alabama, um, I thought that my patients who came from the southeast would test normal vitamin D because you get vitamin D from sunshine. What I'm finding out is uh, even here in sunny Birmingham, Alabama, and even the patients that travel to see me from southern Florida are low in vitamin D. Part of that is because of genetic glitches that they have, but also just because they're so nutrient de uh, deficient because of their diet that they can't even convert the vitamin D from the sunshine. So we're finding out even in the south, people are low in vitamin D. This is especially true with a lot of my fibromyalgia patients. When I test them, uh, do a 25-hydroxy vitamin D blood test, I find out that they're low. The other thing that you may want to keep in mind about vitamin D real quickly is that the test levels have changed. They've gone, they've gone from, uh, they used to say if you were above 20, then you were okay. Now they've changed it recently to 20. I'm sorry, changed it to 32. Um, so if you haven't had your vitamin D levels checked in the recent, say, six months or so, I would encourage you to do that, especially if you live up north and uh, tend to stay indoors during the wintertime. It was uh, in the, it was very cool here today, but last, uh, let's see, this weekend was in the 70s. Let's see, cholesterol, talking about the medical myths of cholesterol, that it's the villain in heart disease. It's not. Uh, cholesterol makes testosterone. It makes DHEO, uh, DHEA, progesterone, estradiol, cortisol. All these are made from cholesterol. And when you uh, start to block cholesterol, become deficient in these chemicals and uh, in these hormones, and start, you start to have problems with low libido. So you lose your sex drive. You have... Uh, men who are low in testosterone not only lose their, lose their sex drive, but they also increase the risk of heart attack and stroke. When you become low in DHEA, you lower your immune system, you lower your moods. DHEA is one of the most potent anti-anxiety hormones out there. And when individuals become low in DHEA, they tend to have mood disorders. They also don't handle stress very well, a very common theme seen in fibromyalgia patients. But... Uh, DHEA is incredibly important for females when you become low in progesterone and estradiol. Not only do you lose your sex drive, but you increase the potential side effects, or it's just Mother Nature actually, but you increase the potential uh, fall off from having uh, menopause or perimenopause. And certainly you can also, when you're low in estradiol, which is a natural pain blocker, you tend to increase your, uh, your level of pain.
cholesterol makes up 8% of the brain's solid matter. In fact, uh, 70% of the brain is fat. And this fat that we have in the brain uh, insulates the brain. It protects the brain, but it also allows the brain chemicals known as neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine. You've probably heard of these chemicals. Surely you've heard of, of serotonin, the happy hormone. Um, one in ten women right now in the United States, when they visit their medical doctor, prescribes an antidepressant, told that they're low in serotonin and they're giving a serotonin reuptake inhibitor like Prozac or Lexapro. Um, those medications have been shown to be no more effective than placebo in 70% of the time. But we need this cholesterol to help these brain chemicals work correctly. And when we get low in cholesterol, we start to have problems with our moods. There's several studies show that, uh, especially among older, uh, older adults, 60 years old or older, uh, those with lower cholesterol are more likely to suffer from depression. Those with low cholesterol are three times more likely to suffer from depression as normal adults. The lower the cholesterol, the more severe the depression. And um, low cholesterol levels are linked to increased risk of suicide, especially for men. Men whose cholesterol levels are lowered through the use of prescription-lowering medications like statin medications double their risk of committing suicide. Um, in fact, for most people, the lower your cholesterol, the more likely you are to die from all causes. Now, I know this runs counter to everything you've heard, but I'm just sharing you. This stuff comes right out of the uh, Lancet, the British Medical Journal. Even the Journal of Cardiology has this to say. After the age of 47, low cholesterol increases the risk of heart attack. Low cholesterol, I'll read that again, low cholesterol increases the risk of heart attack, and that's right, right out of the Journal of Cardiology. The Framingham study where we base all this, uh, these medical myths about cholesterol from, even that study said that for each one milligram per deciliter drop of cholesterol, there was an 11% increase in coronary uh, heart disease and total mortality, in other words, death from all sources. So low cholesterol is the villain, not high cholesterol. This study goes on to say, in fact, those who had the lowest cholesterol were just as likely to be atherosclerotic, to have atherosclerosis or placking in the arteries when they died, as those who had high cholesterol. Older adults with low cholesterol died twice as often from a heart attack as as did old people with high cholesterol. Again, that's from this is another that's a study from Yale University. And um, in my book, when I published that book, I made sure that I had everything footnoted, and I had uh, all these studies noted from the Lancet, British Medical Journal, uh, JAMA, uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, because I knew when that book came out three years ago. I was going to, it was going to be a very a lightning rod, and sure enough, I started receiving letters from doctors telling me that they thought that the book should be banned. Um, I'm happy to report the book has not been banned. I'm happy to report that because of this book and because of this information, there's uh, thousands of patients out there who've been able to get off their potentially dangerous medications, uh, statin medications, cholesterol-lowering medications, and actually have gotten their health back. And uh, you'll see a little bit 
or you'll hear a little bit more about that as we go through the presentation. Um, the Lancet reports that long-term persistence of low cholesterol in the elderly, those 65 years or older, actually increases the risk of death. And, and the earlier that the patients start to have lower cholesterol concentrations, the greater the risk of death from all causes. So I could continue sharing this information with you about the dangers of lowering cholesterol. Uh, I would encourage you to investigate that more, but just know that uh, there is really no evidence linking high cholesterol levels, especially over the age for, uh, age of 47, for, for men anyway, of causing cardiovascular disease. It's just not there. For women, there's never been a study at all to show that high cholesterol, low cholesterol, or any cholesterol, doesn't matter where it falls, has any meaning in your risk uh, of heart disease or stroke. It just doesn't mean anything in women. Medical myth number two, eating a low cholesterol diet reduces blood cholesterol and prevents the risk of heart attack and stroke. Um, that's another myth because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, humans only get 15% of their daily cholesterol from eating animal products. The rest is made by the body. The body makes 85% of the cholesterol. It does that, again, because the cholesterol is so important. Cholesterol, by the way is one of the most potent antioxidants there is in the body. Um, the more stress you get under, the more your cholesterol levels rise up. And they do that, again, because it's such a potent antioxidant. Uh, cholesterol is not the villain. Cholesterol's job is to carry certain nutrients from one part of the body to the rest of the body. And it does that with high-density lipids and low-density lipids and you're from, probably familiar with those. Um, what cholesterol does is it swims around the bloodstream, and when it sees a nick or a cut or, an ir or irritation that's been uh, done to the blood vessel, it acts like a Band-Aid to plug that up to patch it up. Then and only then do you start getting a buildup of plaque. It's not the cholesterol causing plaque. It's the inflammation or the injury to the uh, arterial that starts this whole process. So cholesterol is not the villain. It's just a byproduct. You have to have cholesterol. If you don't have cholesterol, you would die. And as I just mentioned, um, more likely to die of low cholesterol than you are of high cholesterol. Again, for those who are just tuning in, um, if you will mute your phone by hitting star six, uh, we won't get any bleed over noises. Okay, continue on with... Um, Continue on with myth number two. Um, you can't really lower your cholesterol through diet. You just can't do it because, again, the body makes 85% of the cholesterol circulating in the body. Um, there's been, um, well, a, a review of 16 studies using low cholesterol diets as a mean to lower blood cholesterol levels shows that there was a, uh, of, in, in those studies, there was a whopping 4% reduction in those studies. So it's not very dramatic, uh, to say the least. Ansel Keys, uh, the father of the Mediterranean diet, you probably remember the Mediterranean diet. Um, it's still widely known and still widely accepted as, a, as probably the healthiest diet for cardiovascular, prevention of cardiovascular disease, uh, probably of all diseases. 
there's uh, he he has this to say in one of his uh, one of his uh, journal reports. There's no connection whatsoever between cholesterol in food and cholesterol in blood. He goes on to say that, uh, and this was reported in the Lancet, that at least eight different trials have used diet alone to treat coronary heart disease. The number of fatal and non-fatal heart attacks weren't significantly reduced in any of these. Let's see. By 1998, there were a total of 30 different studies involving over 150,000 people, which looked at the relationship of dietary fat in the in the risk of heart disease. And these studies show there was no difference in the risk of cardiovascular disease in those who ate animal fats and those who and those who did not. So, for goodness sakes, for those of you out there who like to eat a good juicy steak, please, uh, if you've been avoiding red meat, please go back and start eating red meat. Uh, one of the worst things that ever happened to our country, uh, as far as health advice, 20 years ago, they told us all to go on these low-fat diets, right? And everybody went on these high-carb high uh, diets. And what happened 20 years ago? Well, when we did that, we set up this whole epidemic of obesity. We've got people now, over 60% of the population is overweight, some uh, One-third of the population, adult population, is obese, 40 pounds overweight. ADD is growing uh, year after year. It's an uh, epidemic in our schools. Uh, it's a whole other um, talk that I could go into that, uh, you know, the attention deficit disorder, if it's real or not real, that's a whole other argument. But um, we have mood disorders, again, one in ten women now, are prescribed some type of antidepressant by their medical doctor. Uh, women age 60 and older, 50% of them are taking anti-anxiety medications, tranquilizers like Clonopin, Ativan, Xanax, and uh, one-third of those will become addicted to those medications within a pe short period of time of doing that and develop tardive dyskinesia or tremors. All of that set up a large part of that can be set up by going on these low-fat diets. Your body needs fat. It needs cholesterol. Fat does more than hold your, your pants up, okay? Fat um, is what, again, insulates the brain and allows the brain cells to communicate with one another. Uh, you need protein because the protein that you should be getting in your diet from a good juicy steak or animal products... Uh, and you can be a vegetarian. I, I'm actually a recovering vegetarian myself. Um, I did that for a number of years when the Pritikin uh, fad was out, the Pritikin diet, um, which was a low-fat, low low-protein diet. You know, I did that for a number of years and became severely run down and depressed doing that years ago. That's one of the things that led me to go into learning about biochemistry and then going on into chiropractic and nutritional medicine and was uh, that whole that whole fiasco there, but you can be a vegetarian, and I think it's a healthy diet for for some people. For most people, um, I believe you do better eating uh, meat products, animal products. It's just too hard to get enough protein in your system. If you're if you like to exercise, it makes it even harder to do so. But you get your your from your proteins, you get a, these things called amino acids. And amino acids are the building block of every system in the body. They're the building blocks of the body. 
they make our transmitters, our neurotransmitters, again, like the happy hormones, serotonin and dopamine. Um, when you're low in serotonin, you become anxious and depressed. When you're low in dopamine, you tend to give in to cravings or you may try to self-medicate yourself with alcohol, nicotine, uh, or, or worse, pain and illicit drugs. You tend to have problems with memory and attention, so you may develop attention deficit disorder. So going on these low-protein diets is a recipe for disaster. Um, so if you've been avoiding eggs, which are one of the healthiest things you can eat. Now, one thing I would encourage you to do, uh, so I don't send the wrong message, I definitely encourage you, when you can, if it's practical, uh, reality being reality, uh, I encourage you to try to eat grass-fed meat products if you can. So if you can eat grass-fed animal products, that's certainly healthier than eating these uh, these animals that have been kept in pens their entire lives and force-fed grain products. And if we have time, I'll go into a little bit about why you not only is it healthier, but uh, one of the things that happens there when you eat a lot of grains, you tend to build up a lot of arachidonic acid, which drives inflammation, which, by the way, inflammation is the cause of arteriosclerosis, cardiovascular disease, stroke, heart attack, cancer, um, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, you name it. It's, in, it's inflammation. It's not cholesterol. It's the inflammation that's making this happen. So if you can eat free-range chicken and free-range cattle, uh, and certainly certainly do that. And, you, and fortunately, nowadays, you can find more and more of those products in the health food stores and even in your grocery stores, even Walmart. Sam's are starting to carry those products. Um, but for those of you who like to eat a good juicy steak, know that it really is a healthy thing to do because cholesterol in these meat products is a healthy thing. When we look at studies of uh, uh, like African tribes, uh, um, the Samburu tribe eats about a pound of meat and drinks almost two gallons of raw milk each day. This is twice the average the American each, uh, eats each day, and yet their cholesterol averages about 170 milligrams per deciliter. Now, the American Medical Association has told us we need to have our cholesterol level, total cholesterol, under 200. That used to be 240. Each year it seems like it drops, and every year it drops, Pfizer makes more money. Last year they made $10 billion on Lipitor. This year, and there's no telling what they'll make, is more and more people have been scared into taking these uh, potentially dangerous drugs. But cholesterol really doesn't matter. If you look at other um, populations around the world, they eat a lot more fat than we do oftentimes, and their cholesterol levels stay normal. Again, your cholesterol level rises under stress. The more stress you're under, the more cholesterol, uh, the, the higher your cholesterol is going to go because cholesterol is such a potent antioxidant. Um, the Modern Nutritional Diseases Handbook says, that's, and I quote, there's no evidence saturated fats are bad for health and plenty of evidence that saturated fats prevent both cardiovascular disease and stroke. Now, I know that doesn't sit well with some of you folks out there who um, have bought into this whole idea that we need to be eating polyunsaturated fats and avoid saturated fats, okay? But um, vegetable fats actually drive 
inflammation. They cause inflammation in the body when you get in excess of them. When you're eating too many vegetable oils, that actually increases arachidonic acid, which is an inflammatory chemical, which causes irritation to the blood vessels and sets up this whole thing of uh, arteriosclerosis. In fact, the fatty acids found in clogged arteries, these are known as arthromas, arthromas are mostly unsaturated fat. 41% of it is polyunsaturated fat. So it's not saturated fat. Saturated fat's not the villain. It really is not the villain. So if you have felt uh, guilty about avoiding these animal products and saturated fat, I'm telling you, go back and start eating those things, and you'll probably be healthier for it. Now, medical myth number three. Uh, medical myth number three is the one that, that they really hoodwinked us probably the most in this country because what medical myth number three is all about is the idea that cholesterol-lowering drugs are a safe and effective way to prevent heart attacks and stroke. And these medications have become household names. You, you know them very well. Lipitor, Crestor, Vitorin, Zocor, Zadia. I mean, there's a new one out coming out every every month, right? A new uh, statin du jour drug out. And each one is stronger than the next, each one claiming that it lowers cholesterol <clears throat> even lower than the, than the one before it. And listen, these medications really are successful at lowering uh, cholesterol levels, no doubt about that. They do do that. There's no doubt that they lower cholesterol levels. But as I mentioned in medical myth number one, is that something we really want to be doing given the fact that the lower your cholesterol level, more likely you are to die from all disease processes. The lower your cholesterol, especially for men, the more likely you are to be depressed and uh, commit suicide. So it's, if we look at the long-term uh, long use of these medications, statin medications, uh, for the prevention of heart disease, they produce a 1% greater risk of death over a 10-year period compared to a sugar pill. And now this is reported in the British Journal of Pharmacology. So it's saying that these medications don't prevent death. They actually increase it by 1%. Not a tremendous amount, but given the fact that we look at a meta-analysis of 44 different trials involving 10,000 patients, that's a lot of, that's a lot of patients. Some studies, they'll, they'll okay a drug in as little as 250 patients. Now, this is a meta-analysis of 10,000 patients, and it shows that the death rate to be the same, 1%, for these three groups, those taking Lipitor, those taking another statin or, or lowering medication, and those taking a placebo. They were all the same, and this was reported in the Journal of Cardiology in 2003. In fact, the odds for escaping a heart attack in five years for those with heart disease, now these are pre-existing heart disease patients, um, you uh, you change the odds. Let me let me go back over this. Make sure you get this because this is super important. If you get this, then you get you get the whole thing here. The odds for escaping a heart attack in five years for those with heart disease: ninety-four point three percent, and improved to 95.4% when they took a statin medication. 
That's a whopping 1% reduction. Now, that was reported in the New England Journal of Medicine. And yet, Pfizer um, and other statin medications take out full-page ads in New York Times, USA Today, and your local newspaper touting the fact that their medications lower the risk of heart attack and stroke for those with heart disease. And I'm telling you, they absolutely, they're correct. But if you'll look at the little asterisks of that Pfizer ad that they run and you read the asterisks, what it says at the bottom, it says that these medic that the uh, Lipitor reduces the chance of heart attack and stroke uh, 1%. 1%. And at the meantime, now we're going to learn why that's so uh, why that's so dangerous. Well, 1% is 1%. So if you could lower your risk of heart attack and stroke by 1%, uh, and you knew you had heart disease and you could do that, that'd be great. Except the problem is, is these, all the potential side effects with these statin medications that they don't tell you about. I mean, they give this stuff out like candy. Um, if you've got a cholesterol level hovering around 200, they're going to give it to you. They're now putting 10-year-olds, 8-year-olds, 7-year-old kids on these medications. And yet the potential side effects include muscle pain and weakness, including a potential fatal muscle wasting disorder called rhabdomyolysis, where it actually attacks the muscle and kills it, destroys it, sets it up. And that actually leads to a pretty nasty side effect called death. Um, peripheral neuropathy, or polyneuropathy, it's a big long word, but what it means is, is inflammation of the nerves or nervous system. And it's characterized by such neurological signs as tingling in the hands and feet or pain in the hands and feet. It can cause problems with weakness, uh, usually in the arms and hands, sometimes the legs, but it also can occur even in the facial muscles, so you get facial weakness. You may have difficulty walking, pain, burning, tingling, or weird sensations in the arms, hands, feet, or legs, numbness or decreased sensation throughout any part of the body, difficulty with swallowing speech impairment, muscle contractions, muscle atrophy, atrophy where the muscle actually dies, joint pain, hoarseness or changing voice. Part of that is it's making your thyroid compromised, facial paralysis, fatigue, bladder or bile dysfunction, breathing difficulties, mental disturbances, depression, and I could go on and on and on. Um, statin medications have a laundry list of potential side effects uh, chief among these are the ones I just read uh, under the umbrella called polyneuropathy. Now, get this. Taking statins for one year raises your risk of having nerve damage, this polyneuropathy, by 15%. Two years of taking a statin medication like Lipitor increases the risk to 26%. Now, what I'm here to tell you is working with cardiovascular disease for the last uh, 10 years probably now, uh, I find that up to 80% of my patients cannot take these medications without developing a symptom. Now, they don't always know they're getting a side effect. Most of the time they do. In fact, the studies show that up to 60% of the time people have to discontinue taking these medications because of side effects. That may be achy pain when they start to walk up a flight of steps. They could have been a runner. Now they can't run anymore because... Every time they run, they get achy pain in their legs. Typically, it's the legs. could be in the arms as well, but typically, it's the legs. 
but it's a common side effect that you see, this achy pain. The other thing that's very common is the fatigue. But oftentimes, there's these side effects that the individual doesn't even suspect is coming from the statin medication. Again, that could be one of these neurological things. Um, it could be tingling in the hands and feet. And so the patient is told they have neuropathy. And they're put on Neurontin, which is one of my least favorite drugs in the whole world. Uh, now, if you have true nerve damage, Neurontin can be helpful. But oftentimes, like the case of fibromyalgia, it doesn't have anything to, new, to do with nerve damage. They're put on Neurontin or Lyrica, and uh, they gain about 40 pounds, increases the risk of diabetes, increases the risk of high blood pressure and other problems, and it zones them out. Um, so when you start taking these medications, you're at risk of developing potential side effects that you don't even know the medication is causing. One of the things that I do in my practice is probably spend about 80% of my time on the, with my phone call patients or uh, patients who come to see me going through their medications, sifting through them, and uncovering any of the potential side effects these medications can be causing with them. Um, case in point, those taking statin medications oftentimes have uh, mood disorders, and they don't. This, it develops over a year, two years' time of taking this, and so now they get on an antidepressant. And antidepressants in and of themselves are not a bad thing. I've already shared with you um, they only work, uh, they may not work up to 70% of the time. They're, they're no better than a sugar pill if you look at the meta-analysis, and they have potential side effects. But all in all, this is innocuous. The problem with antidepressants is that typically what happens is after you've been on an antidepressant, it quits working. You go from one antidepressant to another one because over a period of time you get this condition called down-regulation. Um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are designed to help the brain to reuptake and use serotonin more effectively. The problem is, is the longer you're on Prozac or Lexapro or something, the brain is very smart. It decides that, hey, if you're going to take this medication, I don't need all these serotonin receptors, so it quits making them. And so then you get less and less of these receptors. So eventually what happens is this medication, the Prozac you're taking after about 9, 12 months, it stops working. What do you do? You go and you start, and then you start taking Paxil. And then it works for a period of time, and then it quits working. Then, of course, on Paxil, you end up gaining about 40 pounds. So then you go from Paxil to Lexapro, and it continues. Um, Serotonin is made from an amino acid called tryptophan or 5-hydroxytryptophan. If you want to boost your serotonin level, then all you need to do is take over-the-counter 5-hydroxytryptophan. You should be getting it in your diet, but you probably aren't. Some people are genetically have a glitch so they can't take the food they eat, the amino acid from a protein, and turn it into the brain chemical serotonin. Um, others are just eating foods that compromise their serotonin levels. Uh, the more stress that you're under, lower your serotonin levels go. So anyway, what happens is these individuals get on this antidepressant. Now, what's the potential side effect of the antidepressant? Well, for Paxil, um, one of the things is just kind of a diffuse muscle pain, kind of an achy kind of pain. So then from that, um, they may be prescribed a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory like Celebrex. Or maybe they're just told, well, just take some Aleve or take um, Motrin, whatever. And so the patient does that. And guess what non anti-inflammatories do? Well, they double your risk of developing high blood pressure. So now you develop high blood pressure. Now you take a high blood pressure medication, which we're going to discuss in a moment, and that has a bunch of side effects as well. 
uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories also eat away your joint cartilage and increase your risk of accelerating osteoarthritis as well as cause 200,000 people to uh, be, admit, to be uh, admitted to hospitals every year and kills 10,000 people from perforated ulcers. So these medications, it's a slippery slope, and I'm, I'm not sharing this with you to scare this with you. Um, I'm sharing this information to make you uh, think outside the box. The best thing you could do, uh, two things. One is, if you're hearing this information, it can be quite overwhelming, and I know it can be. Um, when you are prescribed a medication, or if you're taking medica- prescription medications right now, I would encourage you to get in the habit of going to mayo.com and looking up your medication. They've got a great service there, and it goes into all the potential side effects. What's interesting is that uh, for some people, you know, when you read the potential side effects of a medication, it may say that the risk is 1% for developing burning tongue syndrome, which, by the way, is actually a true side effect of certain medications. Uh, one of those is um, acid-blocking drugs because it blocks you from absorbing B12, and you get low in B12, and you that causes burning tongue. But that um, only affects maybe 1% of the people who take these medications. But if you're one of the 1%, you know, you're in trouble. And if you didn't know that was a potential side effect, you would probably go from doctor to doctor to doctor trying to figure out what that is because most doctors don't even know that even exists. Um, so the second thing you could do is I would encourage you, because we'll uh, we'll, we're going to run out of time before I go through all these, if you want to know more about, especially about these um, cardiovascular drugs, if you'll go to uh, this website, this is, this is my website, and you can get a free report on there. It goes into detail about all these. It's, I think it's about a 12-page report that goes into detail. It comes right out of my book. Uh, comes out of my book, Heart Disease, What Your Doctor Won't Tell You. But it's, uh, let's see if I can, let me think. It's um, uh, www.drdrmurphy, M-U-R-P-H-R-E-E.com, just like my last name. I'm pretty sure that's where it is. D-R-M-U-R-P is in Paul, H-R-E-E.com. And you're welcome to get that. It's free. Uh, but, but, but download that. And you can go through these medications and see. Uh, now you're educated, and you can decide if you want to take these medications. And just as importantly, once you learn about the medications, you can also learn about natural things you can do to help you get off these medications. Or if you can't go off, go off your medication, and sometimes you can't. I mean, thank goodness we have medications. Uh, they're there for a reason. But try to take the safest medication you can. That report will go in, into detail about which ones are safe, if, if you, you know, which ones to take, which ones to avoid. And um, so, anyway, you can get that there. Now, one thing I want to share with you um, is one of the articles I write for various uh, physician medical journals. And one of the articles I wrote was called um, um, Heart Disease, Could It Be a CoQ10 Deficiency? And the, the reason why I wrote that article is that one of the reasons why you have so many problems potential side effects from taking the statin medications is because they deplete a very important enzyme called CoQ10. I'm sure you've heard about it. CoQ10 is the spark plug of every cell. It's what makes the cells fire. It gives us our metabolism, our energy to the cell. And without it, the cell literally shrivels up and dies, 
and uh, because of that, you have no energy in the cell, and that could be trillions of cells if you get low in CoQ10. Um, you know, one thing is is I think interesting, and I think it's uh, actually I think it's a good thing, is that the deaths from heart attacks have actually decreased in the last 20 years. Now, part of that is because we've developed uh, much more advanced ways of getting people to the appropriate medical emergency medical care uh, in a timely fashion, and we also have medications that can open up the clogged arterioles quicker, like plasminogen and other things, but also because people have taken statin medications. Uh, now, before you think I'm going back and being a hypocrite and, and, redo, and undoing everything I said, wait till I, wait till I finish. Statin medications uh, may have lowered the incidence of heart attack uh, in the last 20 years. They may have done that. And, and the reason why is the whole, the whole reason um, beyond cholesterol has nothing to do with cholesterol. Statin medications happen to be a very potent anti-inflammatory. And that's why, if any reason, that they have uh, lessened the severity of the heart attack, meaning that you, you, know, you used to be at a heart attack and died. Now you have a heart attack and you stand a pretty good chance, if you're, especially if you're within a reasonable distance of uh, emergency services, to actually survive that heart attack. Uh, but CoQ, I'm sorry, statin medications are, are potent anti-inflammatories, and they help to reduce a uh, inflammatory chemical called C-reactive protein. And I don't have time to go into that, but know that so does fish oil. Uh, in fact, fish oil, the American Heart Association of all people, they fought it for 20 years, but then they finally had to come out and agree because the federal government uh, said that they, we need to put this information out. But one gram of fish oil a day uh, actually decreases the risk of heart attack and stroke by 41%. Now, if you like to eat fish, it needs to be deep, cold water fish. If you're like me, don't really care for, for seafood, especially fish, then just take a gram of good, clean, pure fish oil every day, and you can decrease your risk of heart attack and stroke and reduce inflammatory chemicals like a C-reactive protein. Now, going back to CoQ10, statin medications deplete CoQ10, and when that happens, it leads to this polyneuropathy, this nerve damage. But the other thing it can cause is congestive heart failure. So while heart attack, guess some heart attacks have gone down, guess what has skyrocketed in the last 20 years? Congestive heart failure. Death, uh, can, if you have congestive heart failure, not congestive heart disease, but if you have congestive heart failure, that is usually a uh, death sentence because you don't, you don't overcome that. Congestive heart failure deaths now have skyrocketed over the last 20 years. And part of that, I believe, and other experts out there believe, is because these statin medications are depleting CoQ10. What does heart need? Well, you need to realize this. Heart, the heart is one of the biggest muscles in the body. That's how it's able to pump. Uh, up blood through 60 miles of arteries and veins every 60 seconds. It's able to do that because it's this big, massive heart muscle that pumps continuously uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week and to, to get the nutrients and oxygen to the cells of the body. And it rely on, relies on very high doses of CoQ10, the spark plug 
uh, for the muscle cells to be able to do that. When you get low in CoQ10, it starts to starve the heart. The heart starts to die, and you get congestive heart failure. Uh, Dr. Folkers, who is one of the highest, uh, or, or who won the Priestley Medal, which is one of the highest awarded, um, highest awards you can get in in chemistry in the United States, um, he thinks that cardiovascular disease it comes from deficiency of CoQ10, and it's not only statin medications that deplete CoQ10, beta blockers deplete CoQ10. So we'll get to those if you're taking. Uh, Indoral uh, or Tenormin, those medications actually deplete CoQ10. Tricyclic antidepressants like Elevil, Trazodone, Oxypain, those deplete CoQ10. Um, anti-anxiety medications, Clonopin, etc., those deplete CoQ10. Some ACE medications and other liquid lower medications, they all deplete CoQ10. The other thing is um, you need uh, a it's a 17 step process to be able to convert CoQ10 that we get in our diet and convert it into something that can be used by the body. And in that 17 step process, there's seven different vitamins and minerals that have to be abundantly come, and they have to come together synergistically to make this whole thing happen. And one of those is magnesium, and the estimates are. And I think it's a conservative estimate, is that 70% of the American population is deficient in magnesium. Another one is B6, and conservatively as well, it's estimated that some 80% of the population, it doesn't get the recommended disease allowance, the RDA, of B6 on a daily basis. So we've got individuals out there who are deficient in these key nutrients that you need to make CoQ10 work. And what's interesting about CoQ10 is that uh, CoQ10 actually lowers blood pressure. It lowers systolic pressure by 11 points and diastolic pressure by 7 points. CoQ10 uh, given to those with congestive heart failure is the only thing that keeps stage 3 uh, patients alive. These are the people that literally have a few, a few months to live. And it's the only thing that's been shown to actually increase their longevity by up to a year or two. It decreases their edema by 80%. Um, it decreases their shortness of breath, pulmonary edema. Their uh, heart palpitations decrease by 75%. And, and I can go on and on. That's 10 is. Um, I want to quickly, and then we'll, 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 we'll have a few minutes for if we can open up the line here. Um, but I want to then go into, lastly here, medical myth number four, which that um, prescription medications are uh, the drugs used to treat chest pain and angina or high blood pressure and congestive heart failure are safe and effective. And I want you to know nothing can be further than the truth from that because um, calcium channel blocking drugs like Cardizem, Procardia, Norvax, and others, they increase the risk of having a heart attack and stroke by 500%. Beta-blocking drugs like atenolol, enderol, topril, tenorm, and others, uh, one of the side effects of those medications is congestive heart failure. They also may cause depression, type 2 diabetes, tingling in the hands and feet fatigue, and um, also may cause problems with pulmonary dysfunction, including uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. 
Then if you look at diuretics, uh, these medications may increase your risk of diabetes by some 50%. ACE inhibitors, which tend to be probably the safest medications and the medications that uh, I would encourage my patients if they can't do it naturally or do it as a combination, use an ACE drug as well as some of the natural things I talk about in my book. Um, those medications uh, are probably the safest, but even those medications may cause GI disturbances, hands and feet, joint pain, even uh, fever and fatigue. Angiotensin drugs, um, again, these are pretty, pretty safe in comparison to the other drugs, but even these drugs may cause sinusitis, upper respiratory infections, and that's probably the key that you see with these medications. It's kind of a tickle in the back of your throat. Maybe you get a little bit of a cough that won't go away. That can be caused uh, by these medications. Now, um, if, you, if everyone would be kind enough to hit star, if you haven't already done so, if you'll mute your phone, and then we'll try to do this if we can, because I'm having some technical difficulties. We've only got about six minutes, but if I could, I'll, I'll try to take a couple of questions here. Um, again, before I do so, this material comes out of uh, a book, Heart Disease, What Your Doctor uh, Won't Tell You, and you can find out more about that from my site, Treating and Beating. Com. And then I mentioned a website where you can get a free report, www.drmurphree.com, Dr. Murphy, where you can get this whole uh, presentation, 12-page report, and, you, and it's free to do so. So let's see if I can take a question. I wanted to know about mitral valve prolapse. Uh, mitral valve prolapse. Um, I find that mitral valve prolapse is usually pretty easy to correct naturally, and um, the medications typically used to, to treat mitral valve prolapse are beta blockers, which again, they deplete CoQ10, they can lead to mood disorders, oftentimes they cause you to be a fatigue, and they have increased risk of congestive heart failure. I'm not a real fan of those. I'm not a fan of people walking around with mitral valve prolapse either, because that's no fun. Magnesium, the mineral magnesium is a natural calcium channel blocker. Magnesium relaxes things. Calcium constricts. Uh, calcium channel blockers uh, can be dangerous. As I mentioned, they increase your risk of heart attack and stroke by 500%. Uh, but magnesium actually is a great uh, beta blocker as well. And I find that mag typically if the patients will take 500 milligrams, and, and, and I recommend you get in a multivitamin uh, so you get everything, but 500 milligrams or so of magnesium usually will make mitral valve prolapse away, keep it in check. Um, and if not, then you want to add Allthorn Berry, which tends to work very well in combination with magnesium. And then last, uh, and certainly not least, because I think, I think it's one thing anybody has, any kind of cardiovascular disease needs to be taking 100 milligrams of CoQ10, which also is very helpful for mitral valve prolapse. Any other questions? I have one. Yes. Um, in the beginning of your talk, you mentioned IV chelation. Yes. Um, what Have you heard anything about an oral supplement? I've been reading stuff about oral chelation. Uh, IV, key, IV chelation, it uses a chemical called ethylene ditetracetic acid, a mouthful, EDTA. Uh -huh. uh, EDTA administered by IV is very effective in breaking up calcium deposits and removing heavy metal ions and opening up arterioles. Um, taking orally, you don't absorb but about 10% of it. Now, okay. if you do it every day and you take enough of it, though, 
it doesn't matter if you only absorb 10% of it, it still will work. Now, the gold standard is the IV therapy, but, you know, just like in my practice, people weren't real keen about coming and spending three hours in a chair and getting this IV therapy once a week uh, and getting stuck. So if you want to do it orally, then by all means, I recommend you do that. Okay. Okay, thank you. Uh Anybody else? Yes, I have a question. Yes. Regarding dopamine. Dopamine. A good um, source of dopamine that we can take, ingest. Well, mucil purines, which is an herbal, uh, it actually has dopamine in it, but even better, I think, is L-phenylalanine or SAM-E, S-adensin. Sorry, can you say that again? Uh, it's SAM-E, S-adensin methionine. Those are both amino acids, and those are actually yes. what make dopamine. L-phenylalanine and... Sorry, you know what, you're breaking up. Um, you, if you want to know more, hello. Yeah, if you want to know more about dopamine, you can go on my website. There's a whole thing, a brain function questionnaire. It'll tell you everything you want to know about dopamine and how to build it up. I can hear you better now. Can you tell me spell that word again? Yeah, L phenylalanine. L phenyl. Phenyl. Uh huh. P H E N Y L A L A N I-N-E. And, again, you can go go to the website, and there's a brain function questionnaire there under health concerns, uh, and it'll tell you exactly everything you want to know about uh, L-phenylalanine, SAMe, 5-HTP, and building neurotransmitters, including dopamine. Is L-phenylalanine something we can purchase at the health store? Yep, it's available over-the-counter. Over okay, thank you. Now, I think uh, we may get cut off here, but uh, any other questions? How about uh, thiodine for uh, for a, a thyroid? Thiodine. Yeah, it's. Um, Is that the iron? I'm sorry, the uh, iodine product. Iodine, uh-huh. uh huh. Called well, iodine. Uh, do you think you? Well, you know, the thing that's a whole other topic. And and um, again, go to, go to my website, treatingbeating.com, whole article about that, uh, and you can read more about that. But uh, a lot of people are low in iodine. And you can test for that. There's a self-test that we tell you how to do on the website. And if you are, then that's a great product to take. But if there's, is there a danger to take that over any length of time? Uh, if you're not low in iodine, if you take too much iodine, you actually suppress your thyroid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, again, if you go to the website, there's an essay on hypothyroid, and you can read. I, I like for people to do a, a body temperature test, to take your temperature. And if your temperature is low... That, to me, is more indicative of you being low thyroid than the iodine. But we also give you how to do the iodine, too. In fact, there's a, there's a, I think there's a report you can get free uh, that goes into detail about it. I printed that out, but the, uh, uh, they, they recommend a uh, mercury thermometer. You can't find mercury. Well, uh, mercury's best, but if you can't find mercury, then use digital and take it underneath the tongue one to two hours after you've been up. If it's 97.8 or below it's, uh, and you averaged over five days, of doing that, and if you do that, you're low thyroid. I don't care what your blood tests show. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh-huh. Anybody else? Yeah, I have a question. What does um, NATO kinase do? Uh, NATO kinase is a soy-derived uh, pr- uh, supplement, and what it is, uh, what it does actually is an anti-clotting factor. It works very similar to plasminogen, which is what they hook you up to if you're having a heart attack or stroke. They hook you up by IV. Uh, but this is a way to do it, and it's certainly safer than Plavix, by the way. It's certainly safer than Coumadin, and 
it's uh, what it does is it keeps the uh, placking or the clotting material from placking up in the arterioles. It's a very good supplement to take if you have a, uh, a history of thrombosis or stroke in your family or, you, or yourself. It's something that's very healthy to take. It also helps to lower blood pressure. Uh, it's in a product that I have that I give to my patients called BP Support. Um, so it's a very, very good product. Okay, thank you. And uh, what, what keeps the arteries and veins cleaned out? Well, that's, uh, don't get under any stress. Okay. <laughs> Which is, you know, even, you know, one of the things that causes arteriosclerosis we know now is pollution. So how do you get away from that? You just breathe the air, you're going to get it. Uh, so the best thing you can do is try to live as healthy as you can, um, exercise, eat right, all those things. I think that if you really want to do a nutritional regimen as a preventative measure, I would definitely take a multivitamin. Uh, B vitamins, believe it or not, have shown to actually reverse the placking in carotid arteries. Nothing else has done that. Zetia, you, you may know, busted. They, they hid that study for two years because it didn't work. It didn't actually do what they said it did. But um, uh, good old B vitamins and a multivitamin actually reverse placking. I would take fish oil because we know that fish oil decreases your risk of heart attack and stroke by 41%. And if you have cardiovascular disease in your family somewhere or yourself, past history, I'd definitely take 100 milligrams of CoQ10. Um, high homocysteine levels are a marker for or for heart disease and stroke, cardiovascular disease, and what brings that down is folic acid, B, B12, and B6. So, again, a good multivitamin would, would, would take care of all of those. Okay. Thank you. How much of the B6 and B12 again? I didn't state numbers, but really I advocate people take a good high-dose multivitamin uh, mineral, which is typically going to have about 50 to 100 milligrams of each B vitamin. Uh, now, B12 would be micrograms, so it's not going to be that high. It's going to be, say, 1,000 or uh, 200 micrograms of B12. But the rest should be somewhere between 50 to 100 milligrams. Can I ask one more question? Sure. Right. You mentioned, I think I understood you to say magnesium is a natural calcium channel blocker. Yes. A natural beta blocker. It does both. Um, Mag when this is kind of nerd talk, but if you get this, it's real important. Um, calcium channel blockers work by blocking calcium from getting into the cell. When calcium, uh, magnesium's inside the cell, calcium's outside the cell, they work together, okay? If you've got too much calcium inside the cell, it causes constriction, tightness. Um, magnesium blocks that. So the more magnesium you have inside the cell, the less calcium is going to get in there, the more relaxed the cell is going to be, including the cells in the muscular wall of the arterial. Uh, magnesium is also a beta blocker because it helps to block norepinephrine or adrenaline. So it does both of those things. Magnesium is probably the most important mineral there is for cardiovascular disease. It does so many incredible things. Uh, again, mitral valve prolapse, I usually find goes away once you get people on enough magnesium. Have some achy muscle pain? Magnesium is a natural muscle relaxer. It tends to take care of achy muscles. Have constipation? Uh, take enough magnesium. That won't be so. Okay? Magnesium relaxes things. It relaxes muscles. It relaxes the colon. 
it relaxes the arterioles. Uh, Dr. Murphy, can I ask a question? Sure. Uh, I've been recently put on blood pressure pills and uh, lisinopril. Before then, my eyesight was 2015. Since I've been taking those pills, my eyesight is having a problem in my kidneys. I'm, I'm, my kidneys feel funny. When I, when I go to the restroom, it feels funny and I'm finding that taking these blood pressure pills is doing more harm than it, than good. Um, it, well, I like lisinopril. It's an ACE drug, so it's one of the safer drugs. But this, what you just mentioned can be side effects from it. Uh, it's not routine to see those, but again, if you're one of those few people that, you know, the side effects affect you, then it's no fun. I would try to switch to another ACE drug or angiotensin drug at your doctor's which, or if you're interested, there's some natural things you can do. I have a tr- uh, tons of that information on my website about natural ways. Um, one of the things is just lowering your salt intake. Americans eat 6 to 10 grams of salt per day, and if you would lower it to a, a modest, it's really not that much, if you lower it to 2 grams a day, um, you oftentimes can drop your blood pressure enough to get off your, your medication. Okay. But, but if you want to know about uh, uh, things that I use in my practice, formulas I use, um, again, the website goes into detail, and there's a free report that I mentioned earlier that, uh, that has that as well. Okay, great. Hello, Dr. Doctor, can you see anything on type 2 diabetes? Uh, type 2 diabetes, which is uh, non-insulin dependent, it's uh, juvenile. You don't really have any choice. You have to use insulin. It's, uh, the cells are not making it. And um, type 2 diabetes um, is usually associated with obesity, but not always. Uh, that's a, that's a mis, mis, uh, uh, nomer. There are misthought there that, that, that you get type 2 diabetes if you're overweight. That's not always the case. But type 2 diabetes, um, um, what scares me about that right now is they're advocating uh, more and more prescription medications that tend to be more and more toxic, including Avandia and these others, which actually increase your risk of heart attack and stroke. Uh, what gets you from diabetes is not the diabetes per se, it's the cardiovascular disease that goes along with that. Metformin is the safest medication out there for type 2 diabetes, but along with that, um, I would recommend that you do some natural things. Certainly diet is crucial. Uh, the American uh, Diabetic Association diet, by the way, is, is a recipe for disaster. If you want to know more about that, you could read more about that on my website, what a really healthy diet is for that. But other things you want to do nutritionally would be to take um, things like chromium, uh, GTF, vanadium, ABBA, and there's several, uh, Gemma Silvestri, there's several things out there that have been shown naturally to help lower type 2 diabetes or, or, or uh, blood glucose levels um, with or without using that formin along with it. Which one? Thank you so much. Well, you'd have to go to my website. I've got formulas that I like, and uh, I, without being crass and uh, making this a commercial, I don't want to do that. But there's several good products out there, natural products out there. 
Any other questions? What is the website uh, address? Uh, the website is treatingandbeating.com. Treatingandbeating.com. Can we email you? Uh, yes, you can. There's a there's a address on that site. You're you're more than welcome to email me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Doctor, yes, Doctor Murphy. What's your opinion on milk? Do you think milk is okay, or what's your opinion on that? Oh boy, I tell you, I love milk in my coffee. Um, and by the way, coffee is actually uh, healthy because it's such a potent antioxidant, and too much caffeine is not good for you. But coffee and chocolate have real rich polyphenols, these flavonoids that actually are potent antioxidants. Um, there are studies that show that milk, especially the uh, pasteurized milk in an early age, cow's milk I'm talking about, actually increases the risk of juvenile diabetes. And there's a pretty good bit of research on, on that, uh, that whole position there. I don't think it's really that healthy, and I don't think... Um, it's something we should be marketing as a health product. Milk is mostly sugar. It's lactose. It's not the fat and the protein that concern me. It's probably the sugar. And it's also the thing that really concerns me about it is all the antibiotics and hormones that are in there that are causing problems. Uh, if you're going to drink it, then for sure get the hormone-free milk. Any right, questions? You. Do you have any Recommendations for UTIs, urinary tract infections, that are common for women. Um, well, that's a sign that something's not right in your in in your uh, environment, your intestine. You know, you have what you probably have what's called dysbiosis, which is a uh, your 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 ecology in your urinary system is messed up, and that could be that you've got the you know you've got bad bacteria, bad bacteria, not a good enough good bacteria. So taking probiotics, which are the good bacteria, may help with that. Um, chronic UTIs, though, along with probiotics, um, I find that if you take a product called D-Manose, and that's M-A-N-N-O-S-E, it's a man-made sugar, it blocks the bacteria from adhering to the bladder wall. And eventually they just stop, you just you, you quit having them. Now you can do the same thing with cranberry juice or cranberry capsules, but if they're chronic, uh, D-mannose is much stronger. How long would you recommend that we take that? Um, I recommend my patients take the D-mannose for a couple of months and then go off of it and see if they, along with a couple of months of probiotics, about 3 billion is the count, 3 to 9 billion, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, 9 billion, which is typically about 3 capsules of probiotics a day on empty stomach. And I recommend they do that for a couple of months. And then go off of it and see if you have a problem. Dr. Murphy, I have a question. I was told that the, the animal was good. I mean, have you ever heard of that? I'm sorry, ask that again. I was told that the coffee enema was good for insomnia. Um, I've never heard that, and I'm, and I'm not willing to try that. <laughs> but... Um, no, I've never heard that. I mean, I, I'm not anti enemas but I've never heard that. Do you have any recommendations for insomnia? Uh, I sure do. Uh, I've got a special report on my website. You knew I would. Okay. And if you go to the website, treatingandbeating.com, under fi- it's under fibromyalgia, I think. It may be, when you go to the website, there's a list of all these different health conditions, and you just click on it, 
and it'll give you an article about it. Okay. And, and it'll tell you what to do. Uh, there's a sleep disorder one, and I know on the fibro one, because that's the big thing with fibro, by the way, if you, is they don't sleep. Um, there's a free 32-page report on sleep, and there's only four sleep medications that actually put you in a deep restorative sleep. The rest do not. They actually deplete your natural sleep hormone, melatonin, as does non anti-inflammatories, as does selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors like Paxil, Zoloft, Lexapro, um, Klonopin does. So numerous medications people are taking actually deplete their natural sleep hormone, melatonin. But anyway, there's a whole free report on there. If you can't find it, email me, and we'll make sure somebody sends it to you. Do you cover restless leg syndrome anywhere, doctor? Um, I do in that sleep report. Most of the time, this is going to sound uh, flippant, but restless leg syndrome goes away once you start sleeping. I mean, I know that's too simple to be, you know, I mean, everybody knows if you sleep, it's going to, you know. But um, it, the reason why most people get restless leg syndrome, it's not a drug deficiency like Mirapax, uh, it's or uh, Sevilla, it's a deficiency the magnesium. Oftentimes, are low in magnesium. You'll find if you boost your magnesium level up to 500 to 600 milligrams, oftentimes that'll take care of it. Potassium certainly is important, um, as is vitamin E. If you vitamin E as well, good multivitamin with those in there oftentimes will take care of restless leg syndrome. Um, but the other thing that, that will do that is getting this deep restorative sleep, which for so many of us we don't do. And if you're not going into this deep restorative sleep, your body never has the chance to rest. And so you get this restless leg syndrome where the muscles in the legs going into spasm because they're so exhausted. Now, it can be from, our, uh, from other things like low iron. And again, in that sleep report, I go into detail about that. But I find usually, and that's a common thing in my fibromyalgia patient, and I've treated thousands of them uh, over the years with restless leg syndrome, but it's usually if you get the magnesium level up and you get them taking uh, something to help them with their sleep, whether that's melatonin or 5-HTP or something like that, and you get them going into deep restorative sleep, restless leg syndrome usually goes away. Uh, it's one of those things that we usually uh, maybe talk about on the first visit, but by the second or third visit, it never comes up again. Same thing with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. That's a slam dunk as well. That usually, with it's a typical thing you see in fibromyalgia, and it goes away real quick once you get uh, a deep restorative sleep and boost their serotonin levels. Any other questions? Yeah, do you recommend using uh, food-grade hydrogen peroxide for anything, um, high blood pressure or Food-grade hydrogen peroxide? Um, no, uh, other than putting it on your toothbrush and kill germs. Now, um, it, there, you know, there's there's some theories out there or there's some uh, movements out there that you should drink hydrogen peroxide. I don't think you should do that because it actually increases lipid peroxidase, which is a very uh, potent free radical in the stomach. So I wouldn't drink it, although I know people advocate that. If you want to swish it, and spit if you've got thrush or you've got some type of infection in your uh, in your mouth. That's fine. Now, believe it or not, when I had the medical practice, we used to use intravenous hydrogen peroxide therapy, pharmacy grade, 
hydrogen peroxide, um, and it's a hydrogen peroxide is is a potent antimicrobial. I mean, it kills everything, it kills yeast, bacteria, and viruses and mycoplasm. So it's great topically. It's also great when you use it by IV therapy if you're if you're going to a doctor who really knows what they're doing. Um, sounds weird, I know, but it's one of the best things you can do for any type of pulmonary disease. Any other questions? How about vitamin E? There's pros and cons. Uh, some say you should take it, and some say too much is, is no good. Well, I'm one of those that says that you should take it. Um, much. I think you should be taking anywhere from 800 IUs to 1,200 IUs of uh, vitamin E, and uh, you want to get the mixed vitamin E, okay? And there's a number of studies that show that natural vitamin E cuts subsequent heart attacks by 77%. Um, other studies show that vitamin E reduces the chance of death from all causes by 42%. In my book, I'm not, not going to be able to repeat the, the statistic exactly, but the studies show that, that um, you're more at risk of having a heart attack and stroke by having low vitamin E levels than you are having uh, high cholesterol levels. And it's some uh, crazy statistic, like it triples or quadruple the odds. So, yeah, I think absolutely vitamin E is very important. But I would be taking it in a multivitamin. What people do, and I think this is where people go wrong, and it makes it complicated, it makes it expensive, and it makes it drudgery taking all these pills, is that people will take a, uh, a they'll get a bottle of B vitamins, and they'll take a, a thing of vitamin E and a thing of vitamin C, and they'll take some minerals, and they hear that zinc's pretty good for their nails, so they take some zinc. And pretty soon you've got about 10 bottles of stuff, and you're trying to decide what you want to take every day, and it gets to be such a hassle. Get a really good multivitamin. Like what? Well, I've, there's some good ones on my website, and there's some good ones out in the health food stores, Twin Labs, Nature's Way. But typically to take a good multivitamin, you need to take about four tablets of it. Okay, it'll say like the serving is four to six tablets a day. Now, that sounds like a lot, okay? But if you take that multivitamin, you can do away with the extra B12, the extra vitamin E, the extra C, the B vitamins, the extra zinc. You can do away with that. You've got it all in one bottle. And then you add to that if you need to. Like if you need to take fish oil, which I think most people do, you, you do. If you need to take CoQ10, you can take that. But you build around the best multivitamin you can get. That's the least expensive way to do it. It's the healthiest way, and it's the... Uh, it's, it's, it's what I find uh, makes my patients most compliant when I keep it easy like that. Thank you. You're welcome. I have a question. Okay. Um, I, in reference to um, overall health care in relation to this topic, how do you feel about bioidenticals and menopause and, you know, warding off all the things including heart disease and heart health that are all associated to that? Well, unfortunately, we found through the Women's Initiative study that Primarin does not protect a woman from heart attack or stroke, and we found out that Primarin um, actually increases the risk of heart attack quite dramatically. Um, Provera, the synthetic progesterone, increases the risk of uterine cancer. 
So so those things were kind of thrown out, and people were up in arms about that. And uh, perimenopause and menopausal women uh, were told to go off of those medications, and then there was a backlash because when they went off of them, they had all these symptoms that they were unpleasant associated with perimenopause and menopause, hot flashes and uh, the, uh, vaginal dryness and, and et cetera. Uh, and then, you know, what happened was is that tr- uh, physicians started to kind of um, mend a little bit, they started saying, well, okay, okay, maybe maybe that study wasn't as bad as we think it is. Well, let me tell you, the study really is that bad. I would avoid those if you can. But um, there's natural things that you can do. Uh, Bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is certainly much safer than synthetic hormones. For those people who don't know the difference, bioidentical hormones are, there's actually three estrogens, estradiol, estriol, and estrone in the body. And bioidentical hormone replacement therapy tries to match the natural estrogen, estradiol, and typically estriol um, in combination to what the body would have. Primarin is 99% horses, I mean, it's horse urine is what it is. It's 99% of that is, we don't know what it is, actually. It's some kind of hormones, and 1% of it is estradiol. And that's where we went wrong, uh, trying to use horse and urine as a substitute for something that's uh, human. So bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is certainly safer, but there's also natural things you can do. Um, there's, there's all kinds of things, uh, isoflavones, like certain soy isoflavones, Don Quai, Chase Tree, Chase Berry. There's numerous ones. Uh, there's a couple of formulas on my website. Um, all those I found to be very helpful. Over-the-counter progesterone cream can be helpful. Any other questions? I have a question. When you're about the mitral valve, um, very end when you were talking, um, there was a bunch of like you said you magnesium. Let's see, you were breaking up. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, what I said about mitral valve prolapse is usually I find them that I can uh, correct or at least um, reverse mitral valve prolapse symptoms. You're never going to correct it because it's a defect. But I can get the symptoms under control to where my patients usually can come off their mitral valve pro- prolapse medication, which is typically a beta blocker like Tenormin or Enderol, and sometimes even like Clonopin. But I usually can get them off of those medications by putting them on a high-dose multivitamin that's got 500 milligrams of magnesium. Now, listen, if you take too much magnesium, you're going to lo- get a loose bowel movement. That's how you know you're getting too much magnesium. But up to that point you're probably fine. You probably need that much magnesium. Uh, but along with that, if needed, if they don't, uh, the mitral valve prolapse symptoms continue, then I would add Hawthorne berry extract. Uh, get, you get that anywhere. Uh, and then if needed, then I would add CoQ10. Um, fish oil is good with mitral valve prolapse, but it takes high doses. It's really not, um, not realistic to think you're going to get Mitral prolapse levels down, uh, taking a gram, you're going to take about nine grams, and nobody really wants to do that. It's better to take good high-dose multivitamin magnesium and, um, if needed, Hawthorne berry and CoQ10. Hawthorne berry. Hawthorne berry, uh-huh. Will you do another call like this, Sue? Uh, if they'll ask me to, I would love to. Okay. 
recording this anywhere? Is it yeah, it'll be, be yeah. Uh, it's being recorded, and get it on, uh, we'll get it on my website, the treatingandbeating.com website. Um, it'll be on there. Uh, hopefully, I'm not sure how soon we'll be able to get it up, but, but it'll be there. And, and by the way, on that website, too, if you go to the home page, um, you'll scroll, scroll down to the very bottom of the home page. You'll see... Uh, and it'll take a minute before they all pop up. There's nine videos on there, and they have to do with fibromyalgia. Now, I realize that there's maybe only a few of you with fibromyalgia who are listening to this call because it's really about cardiovascular disease. But the thing about fibromyalgia um, is that it involves everything. When 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 uh, treating fibromyalgia, have to work with sleep disorders, insomnia, mood disorders, anxiety, depression. You have to work with low thyroid. You have to work with adrenal fatigue. You have to work with perimenopause, menopause. You have to work with mitral valve prolapse, uh, everything. And so if you're interested, there's, again, and they're free. Um, if you want to view those, there's, you know, there's seven videos. And it goes into these different conditions. Again, now, it's based around fibromyalgia, but you don't have to have fibromyalgia to benefit from uh, watching those videos, and you don't have to have fibromyalgia to benefit from reading, uh, treating and beating fibromyalgia, chronic persistent on my first book that I put out, because it goes through all these things. It goes through yeast overgrowth, uh, gastric reflux, bird, um, heartburn, uh, allergies, chemical sensitivities, low thyroid, adrenal fatigue, uh, chronic pain, all those things, because all those will go along with fibromyalgia. Any other questions? Okay, where did you say uh, what about the hydrochloricide? I'm sorry? Uh, what about hydrochloricide? I have been taking it like for 10 years to help with the high blood pressure. Well, uh, those, that's a really potential, potentially, very potentially dangerous medication. And um, don't really see those being prescribed that much anymore. I would encourage you to see if you could switch from that to uh, one of the ACE drugs or the angiotensin drugs because those medications are, are uh, have uh, numerous potential side effects associated with them and are very dangerous. Which one do you suggest to lower the blood pressure? Sinopril uh, is one I like, but someone's already mentioned earlier that they had some potential side effects from it. All of the medications, unfortunately, can cause uh, potential side effects, but um, the Cinepril is one that I would start with, and then if you had problems with that, then ask your doctor to switch you to a different ACE drug or angiotensin drug. Uh, A natural angiotensin blood blood pressure medication, which is, by the way, listed in the PDR, is called a meal peptide. A meal peptide? It's called a meal peptide, A-M-E-A-L. Second word is P-E-P-T-I-D-E. And a meal peptide uh, lowers systolic and diastolic blood pressure. It's a natural ingredient that you can get over the counter. It comes from fermented uh, milk products, although it contains no dairy products when they're finished with it. So even those who are lactose intolerant or have milk, Allergies can take it. It's what goes into a formula that I use for my patients. That Someone else mentioned nanokinase. The nanokinase is in there as well. But amylpeptide is a natural angiotensin high blood pressure medication that works real well for a lot of people. 
Thank you very much. Uh, you appreciate it. Yeah. Hmm?